Welcome to a special edition of Roll Call, a 126th Air Refueling Wing podcast of the Illinois Air National Guard at Scott Air Force Base. I'm your host, Technical Sergeant Brian Ellison. The Roll Call podcast focused on people, mission, and community. Want to say hello to uh, all our deployers out there. Thanks for listening. Coming up, like I said, a very special edition of the podcast. We're going to be talking with the commander of the Illinois National Guard, Major General Rich Neely. The wing is having a photo contest. We're looking for photos to display in our wing conference room. This room hosts our distinguished visitors, so these photos will get high visibility from our senior leaders like General Neely. Photos will be credited with the photographer's name printed at the bottom and will be displayed throughout 2021. Photos uh, taken anytime throughout 2020 will be given preference. Send your entries to our our uh, email, the very long one, 126.arw.pa.mm.org at us.af.mil. Entries must be received by midnight, Saturday, February 20th. Check out our Facebook page for all the details. We're getting some uh, great feedback and some great pictures. Oh, so uh, it'll be hard to make uh, those decisions. I'm uh, Tech Sergeant Scoggins in the 126th Air National Guard Air Refueling Wing, and I'm an aerospace maintenance technician, a crew chief. So our job entails mostly uh, on a good day inspections. We get the jet ready to leave, and then we catch it when it comes back. So we're, we interact with the pilots there, and then if they have any issues they tell us, we have to do an inspection pre and post flight to find any discrepancies. And if it's something we can fix on the spot, we do. I'm Lieutenant Pippins, AMXS, Aircraft Maintenance, and I am the Aircraft Maintenance Officer. I am a supervisor of all the crew chiefs, so all the men and women that work hard every day out on the line to make sure that the nine aircraft that we have here at Scott are ready to fly for the pilots, and I just make sure that they have everything that they need so that they can meet that mission every day. One of the biggest benefits from working with the 126 would definitely be traveling. I've got to go to a lot of cool places for free to me. We get to go to Europe a lot. We're state partners with Poland, so we get Poland at least once or twice a year. It's nice. If you are in the unit, I recommend picking up that trip. Uh, thanks to joining the Guard, I've been able to get my bachelor's in kinesiology from the University of Illinois, and then I got my doctor of physical therapy from Southwest Baptist University. So I'm a doctor of physical therapy on the civilian side. I work as an outpatient physical therapist. They're both completely different jobs, but completely rewarding. I work one-on-one -on -one mostly in my civilian career field, and then here I'm in charge of 50 people. So it's a much larger scale, uh, but they're both, both provided me so much experience. Hi, we are the 126 recruiting team. I'm Master Sergeant Heather Wildey, recruiting flight chief. I'm Technical Sergeant Richard Olson, production recruiter. To learn more about career training with the 126, give us a call at 618-222-5701. But, but wait, wait, there's, there's more. more. Give us a call in the next five minutes and you could qualify for four years of free college tuition.
Joining us on Roll Call, the 40th Adjutant General and Commander of the Illinois National Guard, Air Force Major General Rich Neely. General Neely and State Command Sergeant Major Ballou are in the area to see the troops supporting the COVID-19 vaccinations at the Belclair Fairgrounds. Thanks again, sir, for uh, making the time. Of course. I know you got a busy schedule today. We have been... The Guard has been very busy, the Illinois Air National Guard, uh, over the last year with uh, coronavirus support, uh, civil disturbance, and now vaccination support, and support for the unrest in uh, Washington, D.C. How much more do you see the, the, Illinois Air, or the Illinois National Guard doing? Well, that's a great question, and it has been historic, right? When you look back at the uh, uh, through the history of the National Guard, in modern-day history, I cannot find a time when we have been this busy. Uh, not only, as you stated, you know, with the COVID response operation we had last year, uh, whether it was distribution of PPE, whether it was uh, standing up many, many uh, testing facilities across the, across the state, uh, whether it was support of Cook County and the, the movement of um, the, the very difficult job of moving uh, body bags uh, and remains uh, because the Cook County mortgages couldn't keep up the number of COVID. Um, whatever that was, the National Guard was asked to do a lot. And then after the tragic uh, death of uh, George Floyd, we um, we were called out to support civil disturbance. And what, what I talk about a lot of times when I go around and see the troops and Sergeant Major, as you said, uh, Command Sergeant Major uh, Blue and I are meeting uh, some of the troops today. We try, like to do that when we're out uh, moving around the, the um, uh, battlefield, so to speak, uh, battlefield circulation and going out and see the troops. Um, we tend to uh, talk about uh, giving our airmen and our, our soldiers a perspective of, of what we're doing. And I, and I always talk about the fact that it's been 102 years since we had a pandemic, right? So uh, most of us haven't been around uh, to see that pandemic, right? Um, and it's been 52 years since we, the last time the National Guard was called out for civil disturbance. 1968, uh, Chicago Democratic Convention. And when you look at what happened last summer, both of those events happened at the same time. The National Guard was then, because of the incredible response of our, our soldiers and airmen, um, the National Guard was then asked uh, to come back to Chicago two other additional times, one for the Brianna Taylor uh, event announcement. There was a concern that the, you know there might be other civil disturbance. Uh, uh, thirdly, for um, the uh, actual election, the general election, and, and both of those events, uh, everything stayed pretty calm in Chicago. So uh, those responses went, went well. But now, you know, after the 6th of January, um, the National Guard, was, uh, the Illinois National Guard was already going to have a presence for the inauguration, but we were asked to bring additional uh, capacity uh, for Inauguration Day, and we did that. Uh, we had over 300 uh, supporting that event. Uh, at the same time, because there was FBI um, challenges across the country, threats towards uh, different capitals, the governor sought um, to you know mobilize 250 
um, soldiers here in the state, uh, guardsmen again, that, that responded to the state capitol. And then last Friday, we sent back uh, 500 back to D.C. to support security. All this at the same time, we're ramping up 500 um, MVATs. Right today, we have um, military vaccination teams, MVATs. We have over 500 on duty, soon to have over 1,000 on duty. And the 126 Air Refueling Wing is part of that response. So h- how much busier are we going to get? I hope not much busier, right? So it's, I really see that, uh, you know, we're kind of going to be at a high watermark. Uh, the good news is we see light at the end of the tunnel with this, this, you know, what I call modern day miracle with this vaccine. And by getting that out, uh, we're going to get out uh, through, through this pandemic. I'm hoping uh, early midsummer and, and kind of start to return back to normal. What has uh, surprised you most with the tempo of the recent missions and how the troops have reacted to this? Well, I'll tell you, I couldn't be more proud of of how our troops reacted. Um, You know, each of these missions are unique. And, you know, for many of the times I'll go out and talk to our young soldiers, our young airmen, and and we'll have the discussion. I'll, I'll make sure to bring out the fact that, you know, you may have joined the National Guard and you may be like E3 and you had no idea you'd ever get called out for the state. You you raised your right hand, you swore into the United States Air Force. And also, yeah, by the way, when the, when you when you did your oath of office, you also said something to end, end of the state of Illinois. And you may not have fully understood uh, that you could be, be uh, called up. I know when I joined the, the Guard, I, I didn't realize that either. Um, but we, we are, and in big ways. And, and so... Um, what we found is every time uh, we've asked uh, for support, uh, the National Guard's responded. And, and we all know, we, you know, the National Guard was not built to do vaccination missions. The National Guard was not built to, to go out and run test sites. But what's unique about the Guard, and I talk to the governor all the time about this, and, and you know, the National Guard takes their military skills, and we all understand that. We take our military skills, the, the skills to even understand command and control, planning, and all those things, and we apply them to very unique situations where we can help. Of course, we're never the lead agency. We're always supporting, and we're not, you know, in the case of civil disturbance, I always talk about we're not the law enforcement professionals, but we're back there to relieve them of duties that they can, uh, that we can take on that gives them opportunities. So, the National Guard's just been phenomenal, and, and you know, it's, we're, we're kind of a product of our own success. Um, uh, we've continued to respond and do exceptionally well in our, in our state. We, for many years, when I was in the formation, I'd say, you know, we'd always say, hey, we want to make, be taken serious. We want to be called forward if, we, if we're needed, and we want to be prepared for that. And that's absolutely what the National Guard's done. So we, the troops have done phenomenally well. You, you mentioned the governor. What's been Governor Pritzker's uh, reaction to uh, the National Guard performance? Well, I'll tell you, he couldn't be uh, more proud of. And, and I'm, I'm the, uh, I have the luxury of going to a lot of the uh, press events with him and hear the accolades on a regular basis about how well um, the Illinois National Guard performs. And he will always talk about, you know, he's proud as a governor. He's you know, all the governors have a National Guard, but he says the Illinois National Guard is the best uh, National Guard. And he really talks about those tough missions that, that were, are given to the Guard, and, and they just respond every time. And so he's, uh, he's someone that's very proud um, of our, not only our um, state service, but obviously the military service. And before COVID hit, he would, you know, even if we had deployment ceremonies and there was 12 people deploying, uh, he'd show up at Camp Lincoln and come to the ceremonies if, if he was at all able to make it into his schedule. 
Um, I think you touched on this before, but I'll uh, ask you again. How long uh, will vaccination support and uh, the D.C. support continue? Well, I'll start with the D.C. support because it's probably the, the easier one. Uh, we're committed uh, to support D.C. up and th- through the middle of uh, March time frame. So we expect that, you know, uh, sometime in the middle of March or maybe a little bit sooner if uh, the security mission um, you know, there's a lot of work going on in D.C. to figure out how they can secure some of those locations without the National Guard. And so if they come up with solutions before that, uh, we may be relieved a little bit earlier. But uh, at this point, um, you know, our contract with the National Guard Bureau is uh, through the middle of uh, March time frame. Now, as far as vaccination, that's a, that's a tough one to, to, to see, right? With 12 million people in the state of Illinois to, uh, to vaccinate. However, much like testing, um, I see us ramping up um, for 90 or 120 days uh, to get the machine started, to get our most vulnerable um, vaccinated. And, and for, uh, for the commercial um, sector to really catch up uh, in uh, the vaccination process. And, and we saw this in, in, um, in testing. When testing occurred early on, the National Guard started, and, and I'll tell you, I'll go back to Illinois again. Illinois set the standard for one of the best uh, test, uh, testing uh, locations and how we operated it across the nation. We used our civil support team, we used our SURF-P, and they were able to really, um, really hone out the specialty of that. And that's what I see with vaccination. We're doing vaccinations right now because the commercial site hasn't caught up. Walgreens and CVS, for instance, are very busy with uh, vaccinating long-term care facilities. That contract with the federal government's there, but they should be done in the next six or eight weeks. And so they'll they'll become available to, you know, pop up and just like going in and getting your flu shot at, at um Walgreens, you can go there and, and probably get it in the future. Uh, it's all about supply and demand at this point. And as we, uh, I, I see over the next month or so, next month to two, we'll see that that supply of vaccine uh, catching up and and um, and building. And, and so I'm hopeful that over the next 90, 120 days um, that we'll be able to be out of the vaccination mission. Now, with saying that, uh, I'll tell you, uh, and I'll go back to Governor Pritzker because uh, last year um, a lot of states uh, never got out of the testing. They never uh, concluded uh, COVID ops. And we pretty much as Illinois, uh, as the Illinois National Guard, we concluded uh, COVID operations in the middle of July into July timeframe. And I really, I'd ask the governor, hey, we need to move uh, this to contracts uh, services if possible and get the guard out of this business. And And he was very responsive and moved the the guard out, and we were able to return back to uh, uh, back to our regular jobs, right? Back to preparing to uh, deploy around the world in our training missions. Um, so I, I I think that uh, we'll have that same kind of response going forward. And and uh, you know what I'm looking for for the from the troops is a, a 90 120 day sprint here as we as we try to close out this pandemic. You mentioned uh, we're going to have up to a thousand troops, right? Probably deployed for that with those MVAT teams. Yep. And there's three places in the state right now, or there will be three places. There'll be more than the, just the Chicago, Absolutely. Springfield, and Metro Absolutely. East. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's changing every day. And uh, again, when we started the, this MVAP mission, um, you know, I received the call on the 4th of January. Hey, we need you. By the 6th of January, the governor bought off on the plan that we put forward. We started on the 20th of January cranking out the first team. And I asked to start very slow in, a, in, a, in one location so that we could just like testing, build out our 
uh, best practices, right? And the Guard was great at that with testing last year. We started out with sites with 120 people and later got it down to 65 with technology and that, and we're moving more more people through. And so I see the same thing with with uh, vaccination. We started out kind of small and we're building up to 1,000. And um, what we'll see is we'll move start to move south uh, out of Cook County. We're, we're doing that today. You know, St. Clair County is um, opening up their first site uh, earlier this week, opening the second site tomorrow. Um, Sangamon County is opening one up in the next uh, week or two. And, and there's more and more that are going to come on Carbondale uh, here in the near future. And what we're going to move from is a uh, kind of larger fixed sites to downstate. We're going to go to kind of a regional or um, uh, a county uh, uh, location with mobile uh, vaccination teams. So what the Guard can offer, uh, we have about 25 teams. It's going to be purely organic uh, with um, our medics, uh, whether it's the 68 whiskeys on the Army side or our four ends and, and, and medics on the, on the air side that will be able to move around. And so we'll, we'll have rental vehicles, we'll have the equipment, and they may plop down in like the Carbondale area, for instance, is one of the areas we're looking at. And the health department, again, in this this scenario, we we take our orders from the health department. And so uh, we're going to commit a team to that. And the health department may say, hey, we need you to go to this little uh, town over here and set up for three days. We need you to go to this little town over here and set up for three days. And that's how we'll start to spread uh, kind of a, a spoken hub approach uh, to doing immunizations throughout the, the rest of the state. With uh, vaccinations uh, for service members that are uh, are available, uh, they're optional right now. Right. Will uh, that change soon, and how important do you see it for folks to get vaccinated? So when I look in my senior leader, Crystal Ball, um, I do see that that will be something that uh, will change uh, in the near future. And I, I know there's uh, some hesitation. You know, you and I spoke before. Uh, we're... You know, I, I received my first immunization. I was very happy to, to get it. I was excited about getting it. I, I think, again, it's a, it's one more step towards uh, normalcy. I think it's, um, I, as much as I travel around the state, um, it's less of an opportunity for me to bring uh, the infection home to my family and, and that and, or anybody else. And, and so I see it as a, a moving in the right direction. And uh, so as we, over time, I think what we're going to see is um, – as we move from an emergency use authorization for the military, which is what we're under now and the whole country's under, right? Um, once we move from emergency use authorization uh, to its fully uh, certified and approved and uh, considered safe, um, that then will become, I believe, much like the flu shot, much like uh, um, some of the other vaccines that, that are required, hepatitis B um, a type of a vaccine that's required for uh, to be in the military. Now, that takes a presidential signature to sign off on that. And so i the last person to be speaking for the president on what he's going to authorize. But just knowing uh, the threats of the force, how much safety has been put into these particular vaccinations, I think that, that uh, I could, I could uh, foresee a time in the very near future uh, that it becomes a, a requirement. Uh, when will the military, do you think, have an adequate number of vaccines for everybody in the military or at least in the Illinois National Guard that wants one can get one? Yeah, so we're starting to ramp up, and, and the Illinois National Guard was a little bit – I'll go back to what I said earlier. We had fewer people on COVID response uh, earlier in the year, and so the initial – flow of vaccine was much less for us compared to states like Indiana that still had like two or 3,000 people on COVID response. 
And so that's how the initial distribution went. What we're seeing now is a, a significant ramp up in uh, the number of vaccines, whether it's for the uh, public sector or for the private sector. Uh, we're starting to see more and more of those vaccines come into the military. I would imagine that somewhere in the next 30 to 45 days, uh, we'll have enough to really start to reach down in those lower tiers um, to, to start to get to, to all of our soldiers and airmen. What is the Guard doing to ensure that we don't waste any of any vaccines that were well that's a great question and and uh, it's very appropriate because what what i this last week as a but last friday as a arlington heights one of our locations and visiting again with uh, the soldiers there at that site and they were um you know they're administering to the public in at that site and they're administering the pfizer which is a little bit more difficult to measure out and everything but you know innovation of of, of guardsmen um, they knew that the local uh, law enforcement needed uh, the vaccine. And so they had the, the, you know, chief on speed dial and said, Hey, I've got, you know, eight vaccine uh, immunizations here. If you can get people over and, you know, next thing you know, eight squad cars pull up, you know, cause the guys were on duty and they came over and they were uh, grinning from ear to ear to get that, that uh, vaccination. And so that's what we're trying to do. Um, I have, you know, I have the authority within the state to, um, move up and down uh, the Illinois National Guard up and down uh, who gets vaccine vaccine and I've distributed uh, I've given authority down to the commanders down to those six level at the at the wings and brigade level to say uh, make sure that we don't waste that so if we open a vial and we say it's you know it's this tier of personnel but you know we ran out of volunteers uh, let's reach down to the next level and see what volunteers we have there just to ensure if we open a vial uh, that we're not going to waste it. And, and I'm giving, trying to give my commanders as much flexibility as possible to get those out there. That's how I got lucky and got mine. That's excellent. I, I was there to sh- take pictures of, uh, of our guys getting, and they were like, you want one? I was like, heck yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And we, you know, this vaccine doesn't do us any good unless we get it in everybody's arms. And so, um, and, and, and the air guard is so much, uh, uh, better facilitated to actually get these get these immunizations out because of we're all on one patch and we're able to quickly pull people in and and that particular full-time force and so uh, you, we've pushed a few more to the air guard than uh, per capita than the army just because we knew we could execute these early on i know you know like uh, troops are itching to get them um should troops maybe that are uh uh your dsgs your your mm-hmm. Uh, traditional guardsmen, should they go sign up with their local community or should they uh, local community uh, municipality vaccination programs or wait till they come here for drill? Uh, yes. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> what I would tell you is, uh, so the, the two categories that are open right now is the 65 and older, uh, which we have very few in, uh, I don't <laughs> think we have any in our formation that way, right. um, or our frontline healthcare workers uh, or other frontline workers. And so if you're at work and uh, as a, um, a traditional guardsman and you have an opportunity to uh, get an immunization, you can absolutely get an immunization. Uh, they will give you a card. You get a report to the medical group bring that card in, make sure that they're aware that you got it, that you got to understand, you know, did I get Pfizer or Moderna uh, so that we can kind of line that up. Um, I mentioned earlier, I received mine. Mine was because they, uh, veterans, um, 
uh, the veterans homes here in, in the state of Illinois asked me to do a public service announcement. And I went up and, uh, because there were some folks that were hesitant to, uh, the staff was hesitant. And so I did a public service announcement, went up and got my immunization. And then I brought my card back to the medical group and said, Hey, got my knocked out and, and they recorded it. So if people have opportunities and they can get it faster, um, you know, with their, um, at their uh, full-time job, I, I highly encourage it. Uh, what do you say to those folks? Uh, you, you talked about it. You went to that uh, home uh, that are to the troops that are leery of the vaccine. Right, right. No, I. There, I'm telling you, I've I've had I've ran into friends uh, in the community. We've had the discussion. Right, and there's um, there's a lot of um, bad information out on social media. Right, it's just I'm just say it as it is. Um, uh, it's out outright wrong uh, information and so um, I would tell everybody to do the do the research and, and not you know not on Facebook and not on uh, uh, some website get out there and look uh, for the real information uh, about this we uh, I did a public service announcement that could try to address a few of those but more importantly uh, we had a Facebook live um, event a couple weeks ago and um the public affairs office uh, for the state pulled that together with one of our doctors um, from the army and a doctor from uh, Dr. Boyd from uh, uh, Colonel Boyd from uh, the 182nd, and they they took questions and it was very informative. I somebody that I think thought was pretty uh, like myself was pretty w- well uh, up to speed on it. They they really brought on some great questions and were able to answer those. And so I would tell everybody to to ask those questions, um, look for those resources. Uh, we're going to have other uh, Facebook Live uh, opportunities and and um, try to be well informed about it. What we're also seeing is that as more and more of us uh, get the vaccine and don't have uh, any ill side effects. Somebody said the other day that you know your buddy didn't grow a tail, right? Uh, yeah, uh, you I know can, I can say I didn't grow a tail. Yeah, you didn't grow a tail. So so you could advocate that hey, there was no bad side effects, and you know, um, and and that. And I think the more we see that, more information comes out. I think some of that hesitancy will go away um, over time. Um, and you know, we just need to continue to talk about it and ask questions and and. Uh, you know, try to get good answers. You know, one of the questions was, well, I'm, you know, I'm considering, you know, I'm, if I'm pregnant, should I be, um, should I take it? And I thought, well, that's a great question because the, you know, if you're pregnant, you get COVID, is your child at more risk or would you like to take the vaccine and, and make sure that you don't get COVID and you don't have complications? And that was a great way the doctors walked us through that. How do you see the state's vaccination mission changing? I know you I know you talked about it earlier, but maybe uh, sure. you could elaborate. How do you see the state's vaccination mission changing over uh, the coming months? Right, right. So I talked a little bit about it earlier. Uh, you know, we started started slow with fixed uh, sites and um, just to really kind of understand the process, get the software down and that. As we move forward, we'll, um, we'll be moving to more of a mobile um, approach that, again, gets to some of those rural communities. It was... Uh, it's obviously easier to get to a population hub in, in Chicago and sit there and, and set up and wait for people to walk in the door. Um, what we're seeing is really kind of a transition to that mobile approach, as well as the we're going to start standing up um, teams that will go into the uh, correctional facilities to support that. You know, those congregate settings, much like long-term um, um, 
healthcare facilities such as nursing homes and that, uh, those are, are where we had the most challenge with COVID-19. One person gets it and it spreads like wildfire, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to make sure that we can get into those correctional facilities and support. It's, it's tough on the state. One, uh, they're dealing with, uh, those correctional facilities are dealing with their own COVID issues with their employees. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, it's hard to go out and just contract a team to go in. So the Guard brings some um, some resilience into that mission. And, and so we'll be breaking off some of our teams to do that and, and then moving into mobile. Uh, past that, it, you know, it's hard to see. Um, you know, we're only about two or three weeks into really uh, standing these up, but it, it'll continue to mature over, over time. Will there be a time... Uh, I thought I've heard the president say this, and I'm not sure that's exactly true. Uh, if I heard it, or I heard it from someplace else, will there be a time that non-medical airmen and soldiers will be trained to, to give shots to help speed up vaccinations? Well, the the, the short answer is uh, no. Okay, I was like, I was thinking that I was like, oh man, somebody, yeah. me giving a shot to somebody? Yeah, I don't no, know. no. Uh, but what we're doing is uh, two things. Uh, you know. The big focus here, and we, we saw this again, I'll, I'll refer back to testing because it's the, the closest example. We we really take our medical people who, who I talk to, they're the special forces, right? They're the frontline fighters in, in this thing. And, um, you know, uh, a group that is normally highly support and, and are usually not, uh, you know, pushing in on the front end or, or really uh, appreciating the, the light being shined on them um, for that. Uh, but what we're doing is taking that small group of, of highly specialized uh, individuals and putting enablers behind them, right? And so people that, you know, can support handing out PPE, can support checking people for COVID when they come in the door, that can support uh, data entry. Um, and then we're then we're just trying to put, you know, a two to one ratio kind of thing with our medical folks and non-medical. The other thing that's that's going to ha- be happening here in the near future, and it might be along the lines of what you heard, was uh, the National Guard Bureau is looking for an exception to policy for our drill status guardsmen, right? That that may be, you know, they may work in the public affairs career field oh, or right. finance um, on uh, on the weekend, but they're medical professionals during the week. So bring their licensed skill set into um, into these vaccination lines and allow them uh, to give vaccinations as well. And that will help us overall increase the number of vaccinators that we have. That's probably what I heard. Yeah, I, I, would, I would guess. <laughs> um, I don't want to give shots. No, I, I don't want to give shots either. I, I mean, I've got plenty of tattoos, but me and I don't, I'd be scared to stick myself. How do you see um, the state's partnership with Poland. Will there be more missions to Poland or longer deployments there uh, with maybe a change in uh, foreign affairs uh, at the at the administration level? Well, that's a great question. And, and so everything, you know, lots of changes with administration uh, that that we'll, we'll find out about over the next six to nine months. It's taken a minute. Um, sure. Today I had actually, it's, it's funny you mentioned that I had a European um, uh, conference with the most senior European uh, commanders and uh, the tags that have state partnership programs are all invited into that. And so it's a strategic look at how the theater set and, and where we're planning to go with NATO and all those kind of things. And, and so I will tell you, um, you know, Illinois has uh, an incredible relationship with Poland. And I think all of us that are, uh, that are part of the guard uh, think that, but, you know, to really see it compared to other 
um, to other uh, states. Um, it's amazing, and we're constantly called out as you know the gold standard for state partnership program because of what we're doing. And you know, in 2014, with uh, uh, the the big thing that really changed the the calculus is when Crimea was. Uh, was taken and and obviously Russia's aggression during that time frame really uh, changed how uh, that Eastern European bloc looked and hey if they can do that what else can they do and so it's changed uh, both Poland's approach it's changed the Europeans approach it's changed NATO's approach and it's it's increased our uh, prioritization I think as as a state partnership program so we have you know one of because of geography where Poland is, uh, because of our long relationship, uh, because of um, their uh, how close uh, Poland is as a European country compared to the rest with the United States, uh, they become one of our most significant allies. And so we'll see, we'll continue to be uh, see more and more missions uh, going there. Um, some states have two and three state partnerships. Um, I tend to say no. Um, to those additional partnerships because it takes away from your primary partnership. And, I mean, right now Poland will take every uh, assistance we can give them, and there's only so much we can, we can do uh, with, for them uh, to assist them and, and in turn have a, a bilateral relationship. And it's, very, it's becoming very bilateral as Poland matures, right? So mm-hmm. they, they actually brought a medical team over to support Illinois during the covid um, uh, earlier this this year, um, and they wanted to bring some of their skill sets in, and, and that earlier in uh, 2020, I should say. Um, and so uh, that really speaks to the maturity of the program. So as the adjutant general, I, the only way I would take on another, um, another state partnership program uh, is that another country would be if it complements uh, our relationship with Poland, uh, because uh, Poland is... Uh, a significant partner, and it's, it's asked a lot. So we, you know, everything from standing up their AOCs to the way third AOG is key to that. Obviously, the 126 does a fabulous job with supporting um, uh, those fighters. Those fighters don't get uh, tanker time from Germany or anybody else. And I sat at the table with the chief of staff of the Air Force um, a, a year and a half ago and, and talked about what the 126 does to support that, that mission. And he was blown away because he didn't realize that we send tankers over uh, to ensure that Poland meets NATO standards by getting check marks for the number of air refuelings they get. And it's, it's all thanks to the 126 for what they do. The 182nd, you know, supporting the stand-up of their, their initial 130Es, and now they're going to be getting some H models. Um, you know, the 183rd, when they had F-16s, they delivered the first two F-16s to, uh, to Poland. That relationship goes on and on, uh, in addition to what the Army's done with bilateral deployments for nearly 20 years, first into Iraq and then Afghanistan. Not that, uh, so every time that uh, Poland sent, uh, uh, whether it's a brigaded uh, battalion uh, size formation, the Illinois Army National Guard sent a, a team of somewhere between 20 to down to five now uh, individuals that would bolt onto that, embed with them, and ensure that they had, in a combat zone, ensure that they had what they needed from the U.S. Army for support. And that relationship, uh, over 20 years, we had lieutenant colonels that are now general officers that uh, are uh, general officers in the in the. Um, Polish military that remember all the the, the three highest general officers in uh, the Polish military um, deployed 
with uh, the with the Illinois National Guard teams, and they can tell you exactly who was on their deployment, and those relationships go a long way. What's been this? I don't, we only got twenty uh, nineteen minutes left, so this may be too big of a question. What's yeah. been the biggest challenge over the past year for you as uh, the Adjutant General of the Illinois uh, the Illinois National Guard? Yeah, it's an easy question. It's a pandemic, right? So that's. Uh, um, it's been a challenge for the entire organization. It's been a challenge for the state, the country, the, the globe, right? Every day is a new set of rules. Every day, how do we adjust to the new protocols? How do we ensure uh, we're keeping our, our airmen, our soldiers safe? Um, you know, whether it's a full-time or part-time force, you know. I hate, uh, you know, telling commanders, uh, you got to send, you know, the whole operations team home because, you know, that's the new uh, standard for the state, but it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, I, I was here uh, a couple weeks ago, Sergeant Major Blue and I were here a few weeks ago, watched the Nori um, as that exercise went and watched it in during a COVID, uh, in a COVID environment. Somebody comes up not feeling well and all of a sudden you have to send the whole team home, right? And so those are, those are challenges um, uh, uh, for our organization. And when you take what we did uh, over this last year, uh, 133,000 uh, 133, man days were executed last year for COVID and civil disturbance, right? Those are above and beyond what we do on a regular year. On top of 1,800 uh, guardsmen, soldiers and airmen that deployed for their worldwide missions, that's what we did last year in a pandemic, right? Those are extraordinary numbers in a, in a regular year. Uh, let alone during a pandemic. And again, couldn't be more proud of the force. So just phenomenal. So what we really brought you down here for, sir, is just to, for you to tell us how good the 126th Air Refueling Wing is. Right, right, absolutely. Well, <laughs> hey, I, you know, I, I, and I appreciate this opportunity. You know, as, as we talked earlier, I think this podcast is, you know, one of the best things we're doing out there when we're trying to figure out different ways to communicate with the force. And we have to look for more than just Facebook posts or uh, sending out a magazine from time to time. And right. so this podcast is great. And, you know, I, I wish I could spend uh, time with, you know, the, my favorite thing to do is to go out and spend time with the units. And Sergeant Major Blue and I really enjoy interacting with, with the unit. But, uh, you know, the 126, what can I say? It's the best Air National, it's the best refueling uh, wing in the entire Air Force. And I, I say that all the time. It makes me very proud to be able to sit at the table um, and, and say that, uh, whether it's with the National Guard adjutant generals or whether it's, whether it's with the active duty. And this, this, uh, this wing's done a phenomenal job. And, you know, I've been around long enough that I remember when the 126 was in Chicago. And I remember the when the decision was made to move it to Scott. And there was many that said, oh, that's, you know, that's a horrible decision. It's got to move across the state and, and that. Um, this organization, once here, has just done a phenomenal job and met every mission, uh, continues to excel. The, the active associate is, is just an incredible um, organization to have in there. And, you know, and then when you get to the maintenance organization yeah. and the, the numbers they put up, um, you know, I know, I knew you were probably going to ask me if I knew about the maintenance, right? Yeah. That's, oh, yeah. 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 I might know Colonel They're, Josh Hendricks. I might know him a little bit, right? So he our maintenance guys are pretty big deals. They are. They are. They absolutely get at that every day. And 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 that's when I came in as adjutant general. You know, and and um, General Nizamis and I, I talked, and both 
Both the 182nd and the 126 have phenomenal maintenance. And I said, hey, let's codify that into a document so that I can actually uh, toss that down on the director of the Air National Guard's desk and talk about it at different um, uh, different areas. And, and, you know, so that's something we do great in the National Guard is we do maintenance well because we're around the plane, we're around that jet for a long time. Uh, we understand, you know, every problem that's with it and we and we had fixed because we're going to own it for a long time and so uh that's you know but the 126 is taking that to the next level and whether it's efficiencies of the stands that they put up around it the yeah those are nice oh yeah and and the the you know going back to covid right hey we're in the middle of pandemic um but the maintenance team figured out how to work how to spread out continue to do maintenance and and turn out jets um so you know, outstanding all the way around. It's a it's a fabulous uh, unit, and I could be more proud of it. What are some of your priorities as adjutant general? Well, you know, diversity and inclusion coming in day one was one of my priorities. Um, you know, I, I'm you know Sergeant Major Blues here with me. She's the first female senior enlisted leader uh, for the Illinois National Guard, and I, th- I thought that was important for a lot of reasons. One, she's the right she was the right person, but also um, to, to have that communications, uh, with others in the organization and, and whether it's, uh, whether it's at each wing or whether it's across the state in the brigades, uh, we really want to know, um, understand diversity and inclusion. I think a lot of times we come at it, um, uh, with a particular bias based on how we grew up, where we grew up, and understanding of different cultures and that. I, I always talk about the military is a great place to understand different cultures, but sometimes we don't go deep enough. And so uh, diversity and inclusion is a, a priority for me. Uh, we're getting at that with the Joint Diversity uh, Executive Committee at the, at the state level. In fact, we'll have our quarterly meeting um, this uh, next drill weekend, this coming drill weekend. And what that's my opportunity uh, to, to get each brigade commander, each wing commander on the phone and talk to them about what they're doing about diversity at their level. And it gives them the opportunity to push down uh, into the organization and come up with answers. And for me, uh, I say it all the time, uh, answers aren't solved at you know, Joint Force Headquarters. There's really solved in the field. The, the opportunities are identified in the field, and that's where we're going to get the, uh, the, the smartest, uh, you know, priorities there um, and how we can get after that. The, the other things for me is readiness gets after the, the fact that if, as the National Guard, are we ready? Are we prepared for um, what's coming at us? And whether it's our warfight mission or our state mission, and uh, again, you know, the, the exercise that we've went through, uh, which is called operations over the last 12 months, uh, <laughs> has proven that, that uh, we've done well and, and we're, uh, we're well-versed, but we need to continue to work on uh, that to make sure that we're, we're prepared. And then future missions and future force structure, um, modernization, KC-46 is a priority for me, obviously. We're, I'm glad, I, I, I tell General Nizamis that all the time, I'm glad we didn't get the first set of KC-46, even though it'd been good to uh, <laughs> nail it down. But um, as they work through those problems, I see the KC-46 coming here, uh, C-130Js, uh, modernization is a, is a big deal. And the same thing on the Army side as they move to a um, uh, a division uh, construct um, and, and how the Army supports uh, the, the larger warfight effort. Well, any idea on when we might get the KC-46? No idea, right? So <laughs> <laughs> I, think we're, uh, I think we're all still uh, waiting to uh, 
uh, waiting to see that. But, uh, you know, I, I'm very encouraged um, as, as Boeing figures out the problems with it, as we, uh, as we look at for future MilCon opportunities. We want to make sure the 126 is well set uh, for that. I have no doubt uh, that it will come. It's just going to take a minute. You have a unique career, sir, as the 40th Adjutant General for the Illinois National Guard and only the second Air Force officer. Uh, what has been the key to your success, and what advice would you pass along? Well, you know, it's uh, <laughs> I never planned to be here, right? So wh whoever plans a career like this, I, I actually started out uh, enlisted in the Army, actually in the Army Reserve. I spent three years uh, enlisted. Uh, no kidding. Yeah, and then... Um, as I as I told my the, all the army soldiers, I got pulled to the dark side, right? So I came over to the uh, over to the Air National Guard and uh, enlisted, right? And um, you know had opportunities. I hadn't planned on becoming full time. Joined the guard to go to college. Um, hadn't planned to become full time, uh, but but joined uh, the full time force and then had an opportunity to commission. And my career was you know it was everything from logistics um, to finance. Most of my career has been in cyber operations and uh, communications and then uh, over to cyber. Um, but really, one of the biggest uh, things for me was when I uh, had the opportunity to uh, really establish some of the first communications for Homeland Security with the, the GIST sets, as we call them now. They were, back in the day, we had the first, the Illinois had one of the first 10. And, uh, and uh, it was a challenge for many to operate. And so... Uh, the 183rd, uh, when I was the commander there at the, at the communications uh, flight, we took on that mission, and, and we worked very closely with the Army. In fact, the Army's Joint Task Force was all Army, and, and then we rolled in, and we were the, we were the little small uh, blue footprint. But what it did for me was understand how the Army operated, uh, worked in that joint environment, and then I went on to do uh, multiple uh, jobs for the uh, Illinois Army National Guard as a full-time technician, and so I was uh, I was wearing an Air Force uniform, serving as a um, full-time uh, Army technician, working for the Army uh, National Guard as both the Deputy USPFO and the G6, and and ran that, and then the Chief of the Joint Staff, running all domestic operations. And the reason I had that opportunity um, was I never said no to. A, a new challenge, right? And I, I would tell uh, every enlisted member and every officer that is, uh, don't be afraid uh, to uh, take on new challenges. Don't be afraid to shy away and uh, don't, you know, uh, make sure that you're prepared uh, for opportunities when they come. That means getting your PME knocked out. That means, hey, if you're an officer, you better have a master's. Uh, if you want to continue through the uh, the ranks uh, there may there's a lot of things that are minimum standards that that you you want to have more than just the minimum right uh, that means a deployment that means command that means staff opportunities understanding how a staff works not just at the tactical level uh, but at the headquarters level um, being able to do all those things and that's what I was blessed uh, uh, you know several people have asked me hey how did you do that sir and I'm, I could nobody could replicate what happened to me, right? It, I was very fortunate. Um, my when I, I left the state, I went to the National Guard Bureau for five years and uh, took two um, uh, very uh, significant positions there. One, the chief of current operations, running domestic ops for uh, tracking domestic ops for the entire country um, as the J thirty three for the National Guard Bureau, and then moving over to be the the chief information officer uh, for the Air National Guard, running. 
uh, part of the A236, I was the sixth part, part of it running cyber communications, tactical comms, and the CIO for the, for the Air National Guard uh, before coming back to Illinois for command. And so I was very blessed to have a lot of opportunities um, along the way. But it all goes back to being prepared, um, looking for opportunities, not shying away. Uh, if somebody asks you, hey, you know, we need you to change career fields and go over here. Uh, that's why I talk about developing our officers a lot of times in the Air Guard. Uh, sometimes we, we get kind of stuck in a, in a uh, particular job, and it may be four, five, six, seven, eight years that someone's in one job, and they're not developing themselves. They're not having an opportunity uh, to grow. So it's important for us to uh, look at our uh, officers and say the same thing on the enlisted side to, to go ahead and try to develop them. Um, you must have had some mentors that have oh, yeah. followed you, helped you out. What, who have those mentors uh, been? Who have they been? And, and uh, how, have they, how, how do help mentors help us move out through the ranks? Well, I think it's, uh, you can't have one. You have to have a, a, like an army of them, right? So right. there's got to be, you know, uh, 10 or 15 of them uh, <laughs> mentors that you have all the way along. And, and um, you should always, I, I talk about mentoring all the time because going back to uh, diversity and inclusion, it's important to have a mentor uh, that, that may look different than you. It may be important to have a mentor that's ahead of you, right? That's two or three um uh, jobs ahead of you that's more senior than you are uh, to identify uh, hey what do you do next you, you don't know how to become a, a chief master sergeant unless somebody sat down with you you know as an e6 and said here are the things that you should do uh, same thing with officers you know uh, to be a, a field grade officer you really um, as a company grade somebody should be mentoring you along the way hey these are the jobs you need this is this is the uh, education you need to complete this is the uh, deployments you should be seeking out. This is the command opportunities that you should be uh, getting after, and and that goes all the way up to general officers. You know, you're you're always nobody nobody hands you a book and says, you know, this is how you become a general officer. You have mentors along the way that kind of help and coach you uh, along the way to make sure that uh, you're doing the right things to if if you ever have the opportunity to make sure you're prepared for that. So it's important. Who uh, might be a mentor now? I, I'm, I'm assuming you haven't graduated from not having oh, a no, mentor. I've, <laughs> I've got many mentors, and, and there are a lot of them at the national uh, level uh, that are uh, that are mentors. Uh, I have colleagues that, that have retired um, out of uniform that I still go back to have uh, senior leaders that were four-star equivalents, uh, worked in the Pentagon that uh, – you know, that uh, I grab a cup, cup of coffee with to, and, and, you know, talk through tough situations to understand, you know, uh, the bigger picture uh, on that. And I think that's really important along the way. Uh, one last thing. What is your advice to a young officer or airman who uh, wants to achieve, you know, the, become TAG uh, or state sergeant major or state enlisted advisor? Right, right. The first thing I would say is, uh, don't chase the rank, right? It's okay. uh, people really need to be comfortable with what, uh, you know, with what they are. The rank, uh, you know, I'm honored, and, and I go back to say that's the 40th adjutant general for the state of Illinois, right? So when the state of Illinois became a state, the first adjutant general was named, and so I'm the 40th adjutant general. And out of all 40 of those, only two of them were Air Force officers, right? Wow. So. Uh, having a joint background, having that understanding. So I'm very blessed to be where I'm at um, to do that. And it was no, never something that I thought would, would actually happen. Um, but 
what I would tell you is it's, you know, do what you love, right? Do what you love and the rest will follow. And your satisfaction with your job and what you enjoy, um, you know, if, if family's a priority, you may not want to chase after stars because uh, uh, there's some challenges along the way. Uh, do what you love, uh, prepare yourself um, for the job, have, have a, set a goal, and your goal should always be, you know, a couple jobs past where you really think you should be, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can see yourself today at this job, but you should look at two or three jobs ahead and dream big, right? And then, how, and then have mentors that say, how do I focus in and how do I uh, set priorities if that's what I want to do? And then they scope you through that, that process and make sure that, that you're prepared and you're doing all those things to be there. I was just pointing at my boss. Is my, that's, his, that's my job that he's sitting in right now. That's exactly right. <laughs> okay, sir. I know you're a busy guy. We'll let you go. That's the 40th Adjutant General and Commander of the Illinois National Guard, Air Force Major General Rich Neely, General Neely, and State Command Sergeant Major Ballou are in the area to see troops supporting the COVID-19 vaccinations at the Belclair Fairgrounds. Thanks for again for joining us. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Look forward to coming back someday. I All appreciate right. it. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you. I also want to thank uh, Lieutenant Colonel Layton and uh, General Neely's staff for putting this together so fast. They came to me at uh, some point on Tuesday and said, hey, you want to do this on Wednesday? And I was like, yeah, of course. I'll, I'll drop whatever I have to do to to get General Neely into uh, my schedule. And uh, he had a tight schedule yesterday or, or on Wednesday. Uh, they made sure to, to fit me into his schedule. Uh, I thought we were going to record this at the Belclair Fairgrounds because he was down there uh, to see the troops. But General Neely wanted to do it here in our public affairs studio. So uh, thanks again to his staff and General Neely and, uh, of course, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Layton, the uh, public affairs for the state. Because Colonel Jackson just uh, took command, it seems like it was uh, probably 20 years ago, but uh, he, uh, he has just taken command in, in less than a, almost, a, it's almost been a, a year now. Uh, he has to conduct a climate assessment of the wing. He is uh, asking us all to take the climate survey no later than February 21st of 2021. That's uh, during uh, the next drill. So uh, you check your email and, uh, and you can fill that out. This gives him the, uh, gives you rather the opportunity to let the commander know about any work issues that concern you the most survey like i said is voluntary you can find that link for the climate survey in your military email you can find all of our links to our webpage and facebook at linktr.ee forward slash 126 arw if you're watching on facebook don't forget you can take this with you uh, you can download it at spotify and itunes if you want to pass along some information, you can uh, email rollcall at 126.arw.pa.mm.org at us.af.mil. Thanks for listening to this special edition of Roll Call, a 126th Air Refueling Wing podcast focused on people, mission, and community. I'm Tech Sergeant Brian Ellison. 